Welcome to Sports Medicine Weekly on 670 The Score, your on-air resource for fitness, nutrition, and injury prevention and treatments for today's weekend warrior and professional athletes with renowned specialist of elbows, knees, and shoulders, Dr. Brian Cole, along with other health and fitness leaders, and your host, Steve Cashel. Sports Medicine Weekly, heard every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on 670 The Score. Welcome in, everyone. New edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. So happy you're with us. I'm Steve Cashel, along with my usual co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, also the head team physician with the Chicago Bulls, co-team physician with the Chicago White Sox. Net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. Dr. Cole, how are you? Doing great this morning, Steve. Good. Great to see you. Fantastic. Good to see you, too. Hey, we're going to get right into it because we've got a great guest on the line. She's always uh, just terrific for our show. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the benefits of intermittent fasting. Have you ever done it? I have. I So it's interesting. Someone told me about it. I had a couple patients that were doing it. I went online and I downloaded sort of the Cliff Notes version of how to get it done. I did it for two weeks, and I did it. I decided so. There's different ways to do it. And I'm yeah, sure Karen's gonna be pretty knowledgeable. But I did it. it. So I basically did it on a Sunday, and you have to drink. It. When I did it, you do green tea and some greens. I went out and got green tea, and I went and got greens. Karen's gonna love this. And um, I did it for two Sundays in a row. And I don't know. I you got to you got to stick with it. I but I, I the think whole day. Made, that's all you did. Yeah, you did it the whole day, and it's like a 24 hour. I think it was a 24 hour thing. Saturday night till sun till Monday morning, if I'm not mistaken. It could have been Saturday night till Sunday night. I think that's what it was. And I can't I can't speak from experience, only the fact that, like anything, if you're giving yourself a full day of not eating uh, and I do a little bit of caffeine, you know, there can be a little bit of adjustment, just like when we do, you know, uh, Karen's cleanses. So um, I'll be super interested to hear what she says about it, because I think there's some science behind it in terms of how you manage glucose and everything else, and I, I like the concept, and it's doable. Uh, so I'm... I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Yeah, you got to do it right, and no one knows how to better do it right than Karen Malkin. She is our board-certified holistic health coach, health counselor, and psychology of eating coach, joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly. She's always a great staple of our show, the benefits of intermittent fasting. How are you, Karen? I'm doing well, thanks. Good. How are you? Everything's good. So Brian uh, Cole has given us his interpretation of intermittent fasting. Did he do it right? And uh, is it popular these days? So I'm really intrigued with intermittent fasting, and I've been studying and reading a lot about it and even experimenting myself. Um, Dr. Cole did, sounds like you did maybe a 24 to a 30-hour fast. Correct. You know, you know so, so intermittent fasting there's so many different types. It's basically time-restricted feeding where you eat your food during a certain window of time each day, and then the remaining hours of the day or the week, you fast, and you're drinking lots of water or non-caloric beverages. So you did green tea and water. So, and this is usually, I mean, there's more extreme types of fast where there's actually no water and no shower and something called a dry fast. You can do days without food. You did one day without food. You can do alternating 5-2 where you're um, fasting for two days and feasting um, for, for the for, – uh, I'm sorry, fasting for five days, feasting for two days um, where you have these, like, feast and famine days. Sometimes they do fast with, um, like, coffee with MCT oil, so there's no carbohydrates, but on a fasting day. 
So there's so many different types of intermittent fasting. I highly recommend you consult a trained practitioner if you're thinking about some of the more extreme versions. But the most popular is this, what they call 16-8. And that's a 16-hour fast with an eight-hour window of feeding. And, you know, the healthiest way to do that really is to eat dinner early and do your fast for 12 to 16 hours. And you've done my 14-day transformations where I do recommend a 12-hour fast where you eat dinner early. It's not healthy to be eating food right before you go to bed because when you're sleeping, you want to do all your regenerating and your rebuilding. So you don't really want to be digesting when you're sleeping, although there are some strategies where if you choose that, you know, four, eight-hour window and if it's late at night, then you go to sleep after. I personally don't think it's that healthy to do that. So, so um, what's what's the basic premise biologically? Why why did they come up with it, and what do you what's the benefit in the end? So it's really best for blood sugar control because when you're fasting, the body can't get sugar into the cells for fuel, so it's going to use your fat for fuel. Mm-hmm. So even if you eat like vegetables, your body's going to release a surge of insulin. Now, if you eat a pasta meal, you're going to get a huge surge of insulin. Right. So, you know, so if you're fasting, you're not getting any surge. And so it's kind of easy. So you're either eating or you're not. And so intermittent fasting stretches the time that you're not eating. Therefore, you're not spiking insulin during that window. And so that can be really helpful for some for people who are sensitive, um, who are resistant to insulin because it's going to, you know, who are sensitive to insulin instead of being resistant to, to insulin. Fizzing with Karen Mulkin, our board-certified holistic health coach and counselor. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Our topic is the benefits of intermittent fasting. And, Karen, my question is, who are the best candidates for intermittent fasting? So the best candidates are people with blood sugar issues. So, you know, research does show that intermittent fasting helps with insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes with autoimmune conditions, with neuro, you know, degenerative cognitive conditions such as Alzheimer's disease and dementia, which is now called type 3 diabetes. It helps with sleep quality, weight loss, muscle building, um, inflammation, and something called autophagy. When the fasts are a little bit longer, closer to 16 hours, it's the recycling and cleansing of your damaged cells, which is really interesting. Autophagy is a, is a big word these mm. days and yeah, I can say I never, I've never, how do you, wait, say it slowly. Autophagy. You got to spell it. I think it's A-T-O-P-H-O-G-Y. I got to look it up. It sounds and like it's, esophagus. It's, yeah, it's autophagy. And what it is, is it's the recycling of damaged cells. Well, that, that really interests me that yeah. when you, when you get to a fast about 14 to six, after just 14 to 16 hours without eating, you can um, achieve autophagy, which is really the, you know, quote, health benefits of intermittent fasting when there are medical conditions. That's fascinating. I'm um, in. Doesn't that, doesn't, that sound, doesn't that sound appealing, though, so, really? So, Karen, yeah, so let's just, I mean, the problem, you, you, when you first came on, you were telling us there's like 18 different ways sideways. So I did it because it was just like a Sunday. I could pick a day of the week, and I thought it would be too hard to do during the week when I'm either doing surgery all day, uh, yeah. uh, which, by the way, your bars are like keep sustaining me, uh, or <laughs> I'm seeing patients all day. And um, I'm a little afraid to do it then. So um, I guess the question is, how do you 
pick? I mean, I'm really interested. It makes sense intuitively to me from sort of glucose management, uh, uh, insulin surge, and and all the things you just described. Plus, I just learned a few more things. So, what do you think? I mean, I you know, have you down? What there's one author, and I'd have to look, and you may know him, um, who has probably popularized this the most. And there are some online things that are readily available. So for our listeners and for me, and what if Steve and I want to do it? What do you think? And are you going to build it into your fasts uh, to your to your to your cleanses? Excuse me. Um, well, so what are you thinking? You know, it's not, well, I I'm thinking more the sixteen eight. And and here's what you need to do. I start with a twelve hour fast. Okay, which is normal. This is the way. You know, this is the way we should be eating is not late at night. You eat supper, you eat your dinner, and you don't eat again until breakfast. I mean, I could do that pretty much. Yeah, if you tell me that's that. not that yeah, hard, right? right? I, mean, I could do that a couple anyway. nights a week, but, 7 o'clock, done, don't do anything until 7. Eating after, yeah, but a lot of people eat after dinner, right? Okay, so they're right. eating, they're snacking all night. So if you stop at dinner, which is maybe, what, 6, 7, 8 o'clock, and you don't eat again until 8 a.m., that's 12 hours, and I recommend exercising your fasting muscle. So start with 12 hours and then have break fast, have your breakfast and a balanced meal, not all carbs, but mm-hmm. some protein, some healthy fats, vegetables, and some complex carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And, and if you feel good after 12 hours, go 14 hours for a few days. How many, times, how many times a week? Hours, how many times a week? You can do this every day. You Got can, it. You can, you can not eat for 16 hours every day and be completely healthy and fine. What do you think the benefit so, would be? What would I experience? Let's assume I have my normal regimen of exercising a couple times a week. I eat pretty well, but I'm going to make sure I'm religious about this block of time where I have I don't consume anything. What do you think the health benefit will be? What will I feel? What will so, I see? Um, you will see probably a leaner body. Okay, I'm in. Um, Why not? You, yeah. you, might, you might see improvement in sleep. Energy, I need that. And what happens is you don't, the first it first will be difficult to go to 16 hours, likely. You right. know, start with 12, then go to 14. Drink a lot of water. Like is water okay? Water. Is water okay during that timeline? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be right. I mean, there is something called dry fasting, but I think that's successful. All right, so water is green. Hours. Is green tea okay? Yeah, green tea is okay, but then you know that's going to be a diuretic. So uh, yeah, any non-caloric beverage. So you you you're void of carbohydrates. Got it. So yeah, you, you can have some coffee. You can have some tea. A ton of water. The more water you drink, the easier it's going to get to 14 hours. The easier it'll go to 16 hours, mm-hmm. and you might and then try ex, and try exercising in a fasted state. Now, not more than an hour of like heavy duty weight, but for for blood sugar um, metabolism, I you know it's more like an invitation to try this. You know, try exercising in a fasted state, and as long as you're super hydrated, and then eat your meal after your workout. I would just start experimenting with it and see how you feel. You might find you have more energy. Your sleep is better. And, and I think the, the blood sugar stabilization, what happens is you're not hungry all the time. And you could, because you're burning fat for fuel, fat is your low, calm, stable burning fuel, and you don't crave. And so that's probably going to be the biggest thing is you're going to notice your cravings changing and you're not hungry all the time because blood sugar is balanced because you're in fat metabolism instead of burning carb sugars all the time and so that i think you'll notice um at first you might find that first meal of the day is more like a binge because you're you could be starving but that could also mean you're not drinking enough water so i've been experimenting myself as well because i've always been a proponent of like eating your meals and not snacking so that you can get into 
you know, mini fast throughout, you know, throughout the day, a couple mini fasts. All right. I know I'm going to um, have you. I know we're going to have you on the show again very soon. So I'm going to tell you right now this morning that I'm going to do this and Steve, you're going to do it. Okay? Yeah. It's... So let's just try and let's just see what happens because I can easily exercise in the morning having not eaten the night before just water. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm in and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be good uh, disciplined subjects and tell you what we think. Okay. We'll be a little your guinea pigs. I for sure okay. want to do it. And I, then I also want to hear do your it. insights over the next couple of weeks because I'm getting this a lot in the office and I'm reading about it. So anyway, we appreciate it and that you're, you're always just an awesome fund of knowledge. Karen Malkin. Thank you. It's, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Just, can I just say, it's, it's, if you've got, if somebody with an eating disorder, pregnant, type 1 diabetes, you know, an undiagnosed thyroid condition, children, like, so it's not for everybody. Just And, and talk to your doctor before you start any kind of new regimen like fasting. But, you know, that's my disclaimer. You got it. Great stuff. Okay. KarenMalkin.com is her website, K-A-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I-N. Her transformation bars are phenomenal. So we got to take a break. When we come back, it's our Ask the Doctor segment. Great stuff, Karen. Talk with you real soon. Thank you. Back with more of Sports Medicine Weekly after these messages. On the score, 670. Hey, Dr. Cole, what are you eating? (laughs) Actually, I'm having one of Karen Malkin's transformation bars, Steve, if you might ask. I've actually stocked up on these and keep them in my locker. It gets me through those long days of surgery. One of the things I love, they're full of cashew butter, 11 grams of protein, so I want something that's rich in protein. Doesn't have uh, much in the way of, uh, if any, really in simple sugars, and it's got 12 grams of fiber, so we know how good that is, right? So it's super clean. I don't get that uh, post-glucose surge and get hypoglycemic when all my insulin goes crazy, so that keeps me awake. So it's been great through my uh, long days of surgery. I love it. They're vegan and gluten-free, so no stomach issues. Can't be having that when you're operating, right? No, that's true. All right, why are they called transformation bars? You suddenly transform into a super (laughs) surgeon? No, Steve, I'm already there, okay? But no, but they do keep me going all day. So Karen specially designed these bars for her 14-day transformation challenges, since other bars in the market didn't meet her standards. You just one-click order them from Amazon. Pretty sure they do transform you into a super surgeon. All you need is a cape. There you go, Steve. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Dr. Brian Cole and Steve Cashel on 670 The Score. Welcome back, everyone. Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Steve Cashel and Dr. Brian Cole. Don't forget our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com, and we want to lead you there right now because it's the staple of the show, our Ask the Doctor segment. Go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com, click on the homepage and... On the right, on that homepage, you'll see a picture of Dr. Brian Cole and yours truly. And you want to click on that link, and you could ask the doc a question. Got some good ones today, Doc. You ready for it? I am. All right. Here's the first question. Why does my back hurt when I do sit-ups? Am I doing something wrong, or should I avoid them? I guess our better question is, what kind of sit-ups are you doing, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's a complex answer, but look, if sit-ups are bothering you, then uh, they're bothering your back. Then there's another a number of other exercises you can do as alternatives to strengthen your core. So the fact is that sit-ups really use more of your hip flexor muscles. Those are the muscles that attach between the thigh and the lower back. Then they actually work on your the, the six-pack muscles or the rectus abdominis muscles, right? The ones that you're always trying to get better I'm trying. and stronger, right? So since the hip flexors they attach in the front, they can if they get overworked, they can actually over tighten or cause an anterior or forward pull on your lower back. And that might be part of the reason for the discomfort. The other reason might be that for low back soreness is that that you're doing sit-ups on a hard surface. When you're doing sit-ups properly, you should actually reverse the curve of your lumbar spine, your lower back, and push your abdominal muscles back so that your back actually gets straight so you can feel the floor against your lower back. 
that's a proper way to engage your core, okay? So that's sort of reversing that pelvic tilt that we normally have. Right. So that's a pro- if you think about when you do sit-ups, if you're on the floor, you really want to sort of increase your abdominal pressure to flatten out your back to really engage your core. If, frankly, if you're doing that on a hard surface, that might actually cause significant discomfort. So um, there's lots of things you can do to strengthen your core, and I think working on the front and the back is important. There's things like frontal planks and side planks, glute bridges, uh, something called a standing lift or a hay baler, using stability balls. There's a million different ones, and all you got to do is Google it. I would say make it varied. You don't always have to do it uh, on the floor with your back against a firm surface uh, and uh, work the front and the back of the core, sometimes simultaneously, is a very efficient way, and that may help some of the lower back soreness that you get. It's not dangerous. You just want to be able to do the exercise well, efficiently, and get something out of it if you're going to spend the time doing it. Do you do ab work? Oh, yeah, of course. What do you do? What's your favorite I do, exercise? I do, uh, phys- I do planks. I do planks where you sort of you lift up one arm, lift one the opposite leg, you know, sort of uh, counter-rotation type uh, exercises on, for stability. on all fours? On all fours, okay. yeah. I'll do, I mean, look, there's a million ways to do it. Um, yeah. My trainer always comes up with something creative just so it doesn't, you don't get muscle memory. How about machines? Board. I mean, I know you work out a lot at home. You probably um, don't have ab machines, right? Yeah, I've used them, and um, I think they're probably great because you can increase resistance much more than you can do on your own. But it, it's amazing how much core strength you can get just from body weight exercises, like the ones I talked about, just doing front plank where you maybe lift one leg off the floor, side planks, glute bridges, all those things. They're they're kind of fun. They're varied. And there's a ton of available information online to, 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 to mix it up. I remember I was talking with an NBA trainer, one of the trainers for the uh, NBA players, and he said, you know what, whatever you do is squeeze it. You know what I mean? When you're in the middle of that. Well, that, that was my point yeah, about, that, yeah. well, first of all, when you're doing even a weightlifting Don't be exercise. Don't so fast. Make sure you squeeze yeah. that abdominal muscle. But you could even be doing that while you're doing curls. So the point is that you can create a, take a simple exercise and turn it into a complex movement pattern by engaging your core while you're doing it so you're not wasting time. Well, you always told me, even doing um, bicep curls, do it standing up. Don't sit down. Yeah, right? you're I mean, there's, well, there's various ways core, to do it, yeah. Right? I mean, but clearly you're much more uh, able to engage your core with a standing position, knees slightly bent, and, in, and, and properly increasing that abdominal pressure to engage that while you're doing your curls. All right, here's a good one, Doc, and uh, right up your alley, not that all of these aren't, but uh, this is something that uh, you do a lot of. What is the difference, Dr. Cole, between a shoulder separation and a shoulder dislocation? So the, the, a classic shoulder separation is the AC joint, the acromioclavicular joint. That's where the end, of, the end of the collarbone meets the shoulder blade. And a separation, the typical mechanism injury for that would be, say, on a bike falling on the point of the shoulder, skiing uh, falling on the point of the shoulder creates a separation, and there'll be a bump on top of the shoulder. And the suggestion is that the bump is from the collarbone of the clavicle sitting up, but it's actually that the shoulder blade is sitting down. There's a uh, the gravitational force that pulls the whole shoulder shoulder girdle down, leaving the clavicle to appear prominent. That's a shoulder separation. Most of those do not require treatment uh, other than uh, just symptomatic management, and they get better pretty quickly. But you'll be left with a cosmetic deformity, a bump on top of the shoulder. I see a lot of those. The other, the, in contrast, the shoulder dislocation is when the ball and socket joint comes apart. The ball actually comes out of the joint. The most common cause is a traumatic dislocation where the shoulder comes out the front or the front and the bottom. And that's from a high-energy injury. We see it, and just, you know, remember Joakim Noah did it. We've seen it uh, several times in the NBA. Dwayne Wade had one. Um, you see it in football as well. And that requires uh, an emergency relocation where the shoulder gets pulled on and put back in the socket. 
And if it's traumatically induced, there's a very high rate of recurrence with those, uh, especially in our collision athletes less than, say, 22 to 25 years old. And often surgery is required to prevent it from occurring again. So that's a whole different topic of when to do a shoulder stabilization procedure versus letting an athlete come out again. But those are more likely when traumatically induced to require surgery to prevent it from coming out again and to prevent it from causing further damage or disability. That's Dr. Brian Cole. I'm Steve Cashel. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Our website is sportsmedicineweekly.com. This is our Ask the Doctor segment. Again, if you want to get involved, go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com homepage. Look for the picture of us on the right side. Click on the link and you can ask a question. Got another good one here. I recently had shoulder surgery. The doctor said, stay in a sling for four to six weeks. I felt comfortable enough to get out after 10 days to two weeks. Was I hurting myself at all? Well, you you have to go back to why the sling was re- recommended to begin with. So if this, most times a sling is recommended to avoid inadvertent forces that could disrupt what was done at surgery. Okay. okay. Yep. So maybe just to remind you to not overwhelm whatever surgical repair was done. So a sling following a rotator cuff repair does two things. It often has a small pillow that lifts the arm a little bit away from the body. And there's some really interesting data that says when the arm is slightly away from the body, the blood supply is better to the rotator cuff. Okay. So the reason to do it is that while you're sitting in that sling, you're maximizing the blood flow of the rotator cuff while it's trying to heal but you're also minimizing tension on the repair. Most of the things that involve a repair are going to ultimately depend upon your body to heal what we did. When I'm repairing something, I'm holding it together with sutures and stitches and things that are not all that strong, right? They're there to hold it in place while your body takes over to heal what we did. So in the setting of a rotator cuff, we're actually sewing a tendon back down to bone with stitches. It takes a minimum of eight weeks for that to be reasonably secure. By 12 weeks, if we look in the lab, which we've done, it take that'll accumulate about 75% of the strength. And by four months, it's like we started before we ever had injury or repair, right? So the sling in the early phase is largely to protect the repair so you don't inadvertently overwhelm or pull off what we did. So in your case, you had a biceps tenodesis. That's where we disconnected your biceps and your shoulder joint, reconnected it lower down, and the reason we use the sling is to avoid you from over-pulling on that repair because your body's going to heal that tendon to the bone. All I've got holding that are two stitches. They're very strong stitches, but your biceps is strong enough to pull away from those sutures until it scars down and heals into the bone. So the sling was to prevent you from moving it inadvertently because you forget. Once the pain gets better after rotator cuff or bicep surgery, you kind of forget, and you're, it's very easy to grab something and use it. And I've had guys pull off their biceps tendon, and I have to go back and do it again. Well, I, I did um, admittedly get out after two weeks, and my physical therapist, by the way, which are at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, and that is a phenomenal facility, Thank and you. the people are top-notch. <clears throat> I go to Oak Brook, and it is state-of-the-art, brand new. The parking, the people, the whole thing is just so well done, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be there, and they're so good at what they do. I'm working with a physical therapist named Laura Perez, yeah, Laura's and she great. is phenomenal, and um, but but... Dr. Cole, they have told me from day one when I started going to physical therapy that whatever I did, I'm doing right because my range of motion was much further along than most people that have had 
the surgery that you performed on me. And I'm thinking because I lo- I left let go of the, sl- the sling. Now, you know, I have shaken hands, no, but I've I don't been think very... That's it. No, no? That isn't, no, because, I mean, look... Because some say... people are very stiff, they say, if you're in that sling for four to six weeks, and that's all, you know, they come out of their thing and they can't do anything. You know, they can't... Yeah, but that, dep- again, depends on the surgery. Then why why am I than... ahead of schedule? <sighs> now, you said my biceps was strong. Yeah, because I didn't anything? do anything... We didn't do anything to um, create scar in your joint. So the likelihood of you losing motion with what I did to you is very low. Okay. The flip side is if I repair a rotator cuff and it, it basically is a, almost like a tightening procedure, you've got tendons that are attached on that weren't before. Yeah. And the propensity for stiffness is, you know, 10 to 15%. It's not uncommon. So we try to move people early. Again, you use the sling to protect the repair, but with the help of physical therapy, with the help of physical therapy, you undergo guided rehabilitation to help regain your motion. So it's it's complicated, but you didn't have a procedure that likely leads to stiffness because your rotator cuff was fine. It was just your biceps and you have a little bit of arthritis. So that is a different situation. Okay. So you can't okay. generalize. The problem is that people love to talk everybody's to other people. Different. Everybody's yeah. different. You yeah. say, oh, I talked to a friend, this happened. Right. You don't know exactly what happened and everyone's... Right. You know, situation is quite different, and you have to kind of know the devil's in the details. So, but I agree. You know what? I've been very uh, uh, cautious about opening doors with my with my right arm that was surgically repaired. You know, so I, everything's left handed. Groceries and anything I've done has been all left handed. Uh, you know, but uh, obviously you got to be careful because. Part of the reason for the sling is also so that someone recognized you and doesn't hit you in the back, which has yep. happened to me. The old, Absolutely. the old Ralph Cramden. It's good to see a Ralph, right? Yep. <laughs> the Honey yeah. Motors. Yeah. I remember that episode. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Like you said, everybody's different. So That's right. listen to your doctor. Listen to your physical therapist. Yes. yes. All right. We're out of time, Doc. Great stuff. I appreciate it. We're going to see you next week, okay? You have a great week. I will. And many thanks to our producer, and board operator Shane Reardon. Also want to thank our coordinating producer and Dr. Cole. She has been with us for nine years. Trees Ann Seeger, quick comment about Tree. Yeah, she's been wonderful, and uh, she has uh, decided to take on some other uh, responsibilities and activities, but we have uh, we could not be where we are today without having Therese Ann, and uh, she's been just a true blessing. And uh, we wish her well, but we'll, I, I know our friendship will continue, and she's still particularly helpful on the philanthropy side for research and so forth. So we really thank her for her service. And we have a new uh, co-producer, Tracy Toro, Great. who is uh, awesome. And uh, Teresa Ann is going to help groom her uh, to make sure nothing gets missed. And uh, she's also a uh, social media guru, so that helps us a lot as well. Great. Teresa Ann Seeger, we will miss you. Tremendous job for being with us for the last uh eight and a half plus years. We also want to thank David Cole for managing our website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. Thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on 670 The Score. Up next on The Score, early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Talk with you again next week. You've been listening to Sports Medicine Weekly, heard every Saturday morning at 8 with Dr. Brian Cole and Steve Cashel, only on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station.